Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to spend some time in an introduction to Genesis over the next many weeks as we are encouraged by Bible study. I mean, Bible study is so exciting and so inspiring. We know that anytime we open the Bible and receive it, we know that we're going to be changed in some way. God is going to do a work. His word will not return empty and void. We open the Bible. We have the Holy Spirit with us. And it's always encouraging when we start a brand new book, where we start at the beginning and we gain the broader perspective of the book and where it fits in the Bible. And to me, waiting and anticipating what the Lord has to say to us is always an encouraging part. It's not just me preparing a Bible study for you, it's me in the word for us. And the Lord is always ministering to me first before he ever gets to minister to us. And so he has a word for you personally and practically every single time you get together. Don't ever underestimate the power of God's word. And as we start a new study today through Genesis, we're beginning at the beginning, starting out where it all starts. The word Genesis, if you're taking notes, means literally beginnings. And in the book of Genesis, we're going to learn so many beginnings of in reality, just, just beginnings, period. The beginning of the universe, the beginning of man, marriage, sin, evil, religion, races, nations, murder, love, grace, beginnings. And we'll look at them each as we go forward. The book of Genesis covers about 2,500 years of human history and introduces us to the master plan of God's redemption. And there are many ways to divide it. If you read through different commentaries, different websites, a lot of different ways Bible teachers to divide the book of Genesis, but this is what I want to present to you. Genesis divides into four events and four people. Four events and four people. So if you're taking notes, Genesis 1, chapters 1 and 2 cover creation. Chapters 3 through 5 cover the fall of man. Chapters 6 through 9 cover the flood, and chapters 10 and 11 cover the nations, four events. Creation, the fall of man, the flood, and the nations. And then the four people, starting in chapter 12 through to chapter 25, cover Abraham. Chapter 25, the second half through 26 is Isaac. 27 through 36 is covering the life of Jacob. And of course, those of you familiar with Genesis, you know that it ends chapter 37 through 50 with the life of Joseph. So you have creation and fall, you have flood and nations, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Now, as you're reading through Genesis, you'll find it interesting to note that God spends very little time on creation, on the fall, the flood, and the nations in proportion to the way chapters and even the way it's laid out. But he spends a huge amount of time on these other men, on these patriarchs. But don't be surprised because as you're reading through the New Testament, you see a very similar imbalance. There are 89 chapters in the Gospels, roughly. 
Four cover the first 30 years of, his, of the life of Jesus, where 27 deal with the last eight days. So out of, out of the 89 chapters, four of the 31 chapters cover the first 30 years of his life, and then 27 deal with the last eight days. Why? Because of a plan and purpose of God. Now, the Bible is a book of redemption. Remember redemption. We'll hear that word a lot. It's not a science book or a history book or a geology book or even a book about anthropology. Even though when the Bible does speak on these topics and Genesis speaks on these topics, the, the Bible is wholly accurate, infallible, but that's not the main goal. So if you took the Bible and you opened it up and you wanted to learn scientific theory from it, you won't. Or if you wanted a full historical account of every event that ever happened, you won't. Because the goal of the Bible is different. The goal and the intent of the Bible is to reveal God's great love for man and his plan of redemption through Jesus Christ. So that when you're reading through the scriptures, you're going to want to look through, not even just in Genesis, but you're going to be wanting to look for where Jesus as Messiah and Savior is emphasized, even in the Old Testament, where he's predicted and pointed to, or there's pictures and types of him, because the whole book is about redemption. You can jot it down in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. It says, now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself, through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and now has committed to us the word of reconciliation. The whole Bible is pointing to that desire of God to reconcile his creation to himself. Which reminds us, I think, of being single-minded ourselves, right? Focused in our own lives. We saw just recently in our Bible study, there's one thing. Like, we, we need to look forward, forgetting those things that are behind. We need to press on and press forward. And a single mind, or as our friend Randy would say, a disciplined mind, is so vital in these times. Randy would say, one of our elders here, he always reminded me that, that so much of our trouble comes from our undisciplined minds. He loves that phrase. He's the brother that oversees our, our ministry to those that deal with post-traumatic stress. And he takes you through the word to help you discipline your mind. Why? Because God will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. Stayed on him. And it's essential to know our purpose and then set to fulfill it. You can jot it down again in Revelation chapter 4, in verse 11. In the old King James, I like how they translate this. It says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. For God's pleasure. It's for his pleasure, not ours, our life is meant to please God. And, you know, that's the pattern that Jesus gave. Remember what he said? He said, I always do those things that please the Father. I always do those things that please the Father. John chapter 8, verse 29. So although the book of Genesis is one of origins, we're going to find one origin that is interestingly absent. 
Nowhere in Genesis, I mean, even as you read it opening up, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1. The most fundamental foundational verse in all the scriptures. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. One origin, interesting, absent, and that's the origin of God. Nowhere, nowhere does God try to explain his origin. Why? Because he doesn't have one. He always was. No beginning or end, and he has no apologies for that truth. Right at the beginning of the Bible, God does not explain that he exists. He expects his readers to understand that. He doesn't try to explain it. Now, if that's hard for you to understand, I just want you to consider something for a moment. Consider the Bible as an autobiography. Like if you were reading an autobiography, it's God's personal revelation of himself to man. If you see it as an autobiography, then you'll gain a little understanding because if you and I do a right to autobiography, how much time would you spend trying to explain that you exist? The very fact that you have the book in your hand and you're reading my story tells you that I exist. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I, I might go back to, to give a little bit of where it all started, but I'm not going to try to prove to you I exist. By you reading the book, you already believe that I exist. And so the very fact that God's word is pure and inerrant and inspired. It is, God doesn't spend any time to explain that. It is self-evident. The Bible, a collection of 66 books written by 40 different authors over 1,500 years in three different languages on three separate continents. People, authors separated by time, space, occupation, language, all writing with incredible unity and harmony with one singular theme throughout the scriptures, God's desire to redeem man through his son, Jesus Christ. And because God's word is so personal, it's his personal word to us, we have a personal response when we read it. We have a personal response when we read God's word. I mean, even as you consider just a, the verse, in the beginning God created in the heavens and earth, it, it, it requires a response to you. And you can think of a lot of different responses, but you, you can divide the world into two categories. You either believe it or you don't. You receive it or you don't. And that will set the course of your life. How you respond to Genesis 1-1, and for the sake of you guys listening on the radio right now, maybe kind of stumbling across this, that this is, this is the course of your life. The course of your life is do you believe Genesis 1-1? Because we live in a culture in our day and age, in our, in, in our time period, where the Bible is not the primary source text for the raising up of children in the education system. It's been replaced with, with humanistic philosophies. And it, there's so many that we wouldn't possibly start to list each and every one of them. So we'll just create a category, humanistic scientists, humanistic philosophy that attack the Bible, especially the first few chapters of Genesis. Because if the first 11 or 12 chapters of Genesis are true, then it truly undermines the, the whole fundamental philosophy of our world. So it makes sense that you would want to undermine, if you don't believe in God, the beginning of the Bible. And in its place, in its place of chapter 1, verse 1, is the theory of the day, the Big Bang, evolu humanistic evolutionary theory and all of its variations. But there's no support or evidence for such things, even though it is the popular thought and indoctrination of our day. The truth is this, science knows nothing of origins. 
True science can only test how things work, but cannot determine how things began. Science is able to measure laws that govern the material universe, but can't explain the starting point for such laws. So when science, this is important, this is a very important distinction to understand. When science moves toward explaining existence, it no longer is science, it becomes philosophy. It becomes philosophical theories and ideas. There's no way to rationally determine that kind of information. That kind of information cannot come through human reasoning. We are so dependent upon human reasoning and logic and thinking things through clearly that we have to be careful how we apply it. For example, human reasoning can't always be applied to the will of God. And you go, Ed, how can you say that? It seems everything about God would be. Well, when God supersedes human reasoning, it becomes a place of faith. You know, many times God is very faithful to move us around and move us down the pathway of trusting him, revealing us little by little. But there are those times where he leads you to a decision or to a, a step of faith that what? Requires faith. And there's no real explanation of what God is doing in your life right now except to say it's not sin. It's not against the word of God. I think this is what God wants me to do. And then you're starting to ask friends, like, oh, no, you can't do it. I, I think of anybody that has ever ventured out on the mission field, it is so, it's such an unreasonable decision to make. I think of some of the families here that have said, you know, I think, we, I think God's calling us to such and such a country, and so we're going to sell everything we have, and we're going to get rid of everything, and we're going to move to another country. Well, what are you going to do for a living? I don't know. Or... Uh, we're going to just ask people to give us money. <laughs> That's really what it is. Uh, well, how are you going to live in a foreign country and preach? A, well, we're just going to ask people to give us money. You're going to what? And then, well, what's going to happen with your kids? Well, you know, they're going to come with us, I guess. You know, we're not leaving them. Well, what, what's And all these, you, you will, you, faith will often be met with all this reason. And it's good. It's, it's well-intentioned. Uh, I, I don't really see it as, it, it, I don't see it as anyone wanting to harm but man, you got to be careful when God's called you a step of faith of people trying to talk you out of it. So it doesn't make sense. <laughs> Who said it? Anything in my life ever had to make sense for you. And, and you're like, man, I think God's going to move. And then you talk to the missionaries that have lived their life like that year after year after year. And guess what? They moved to, they sold everything, moved to another country. And guess how they live? People give them money. Because God moved on those people to give them money. And then they live frugally. So much on so much less than what we might live here. And then you hear a testimony and go, I think I want to give that guy money. And she's like, you're the ones giving him money. You're like, you, how do you ever know that your life? You're like, hey, so, so I heard you got a raise. What are you going to do with it? Well, I just felt like the Lord wants me to give it to missionaries. What? Don't you know the new phone's out? Don't you know you have, like you only drive a car with three tires. It'll be all right. The Lord will take care of it. I feel like God wants me to give to missionaries. I feel like God wants to give me to radio. I feel like God wants me to be fa on and on the list goes. And when it comes back to Genesis, you know, you think of the difference between reasoning. The origin of God, the origin of the universe doesn't come by reasoning. Listen, it comes by revelation. Revelation. It cannot come through reasoning. Moses, who is the author, again, if you're taking notes, Moses, who is the author of Genesis, received the book not by reasoning, but through divine revelation. Moses didn't, 
and we'll learn through our study, he couldn't make this up or logically deduce the facts that we learn in the book of Genesis. He received them directly from God. He, he received the insights that God wanted us to know directly from God himself so that the book begins in the beginning. Well, Moses wasn't there and neither were you or me. I wasn't there. But Moses receives revelation. It goes, you want to know what's happened? Yes, what happened in the beginning? What happened in the beginning? In the beginning, God. He was there. And he created the heavens and the earth. What a powerful, magnificent verse that's filled with meaning and purpose for the entire human race of every generation. This, this word is applicable to every generation, past, present, and future. And it just says what it says, exactly what God wanted it to convey. In the beginning, he himself created the heavens and the earth. Again, jot it down if you're taking notes in Isaiah 48, verse 13. Through Isaiah, God says, Indeed, my hand has laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand has stretched out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand up together. So understand this. This one verse we'll spend some time on in the coming weeks. This one verse completely answers every false belief system that is held by man today. And I'll just list a few. It refutes the atheist who says there is no God. It refutes the agnostic who says we can't know God. It refutes the polytheist who worships multiple gods. It refutes the pantheist who says nature is God. It refutes the materialist who says matter is eternal. And it refutes the fatalist who says there is no divine purpose in life. I mean, just the popular ones, atheism, agnosticism, polytheism, pantheism, materialism, fatalism is answered with one small verse. How, how did it all, who, who am I responsible to? Who am I supposed to believe? What am I supposed to believe? Moses, faithful to his calling, you know, we know a little bit about Moses as we study through later on uh, in Exodus and onward, but we know that Moses did not write Genesis 1 according to the popular theories of the day, the popular theories that existed during his time period. Remember in Acts chapter 7, verse 22, we're told that Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Like he was hyper intelligent and super well educated. That's what he turned away from to fulfill the calling of God. I mean, he was prepped as, you know, the story of Mo, the true story of Moses, where he was prepped to take over the kingdom, to be in charge. And, and the Bible speaks of him sidestepping the passing pleasures of sin to obey God. He gave it all up, turned his back on it, lived in the desert for years. Like he, he, was, he, he felt that sense of God's calling upon his life and he gave it all up and he was well-educated. And no doubt, as Philip says in his commentary, no doubt Moses was familiar with the Egyptian myth of creation where they believed that there was a primeval ocean upon which appeared an egg, and from the egg was born the sun god. And the sun god had four children, Geb, Shu, Tefnut, and Nut. And the rivalries of these born children, as they fought, came creation. That was the Egyptian myth. The Babylonians believed that creation was the result of warring gods. The Greeks believed that Atlas stood at the borders of earth, upholding it with his large arms, 
And the Hindus believed the world rested on the back of elephants, in which turn stood on the back of a giant tortoise. Moses, with direct revelation from God, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It's the only statement of all creation that deals with origins. All theories and myths deal with creation already there. Not origins, but creation already there. But God is the originator of all things. He precedes creation. He precedes creation. You know, there are different Hebrew words, even here in chapter one, for the word create. The first one is the Greek or the Hebrew word asa. If you jump down to verse seven, it says in verse seven, thus God made the firmament. That Hebrew word literally means to make something from something, to make something from something. But the word that's used in verse one, in the beginning God created, is the Hebrew word bara, B-A-R-A. And that literally means to take nothing and make it something or to bring something into being from nothing. And we learn that God created the world out of nothing, bara. And many just can't. This is the burden and the barrier for so many. Many just can't get past Genesis 1-1. But I'll tell you this. When you place your faith in the God of Genesis 1-1, the rest of the Bible is so much easier to receive. I mean, if God... If he can create something out of nothing, which he claims to, to be, then you can accept his promises, his prophecies. You can accept his, his faithfulness. You can accept the entirety of the miraculous. I mean, if God created the heavens and the earth, then he is over all. But because so many stumble at this verse, they can't go any farther. And in, in its place... Everyone has a creation story. There isn't a human being on the planet that does not have a creation story. But only the believer has the creation story that leads to Messiah. And I use the word story only in the sense as it's laid out that way, not in the sense that it's false. It's a true story. It is the true story of your origins and mine. Your salvation goes back to Genesis 1.1. Your life goes back to Genesis 1.1. God's will for your life. God's plan and purpose for your life. Everything about where you were, where you are, and where you're going all connects here in the beginning. God created. This is the fundamental truth. And everything in the Bible flows from, flows through, and flows to this truth. And it answers the question, how did everything come to be? The book of Genesis is so important that it's quoted or referred to no less than 165 times in the New Testament. And many more are mentioned multiple times in the New Testament. You know, any more references uh, to over 200 times. Genesis. In the beginning, God. In our coming studies, we'll learn different viewpoints of creation, even biblically. You know, something so solid, so foundational, so important, it, you know, it makes sense that the church would even argue about it. The, the church would make it a big deal. 
Like the enemy would come in and make everybody have different viewpoints. So now that all we're fighting and arguing and talking about how we disagree and what we don't believe. And instead of just humbling ourselves before the mighty hand of God so that he can lift you up in due time. Origins of man, origins of the universe. It's amazing what God wants to accomplish in and through our study in Genesis. And so as we head out and we have an opportunity just to receive the teaching of God's word tonight, meditate on that this week. Maybe you're even wrestling with what what your origin is. You know, I think of those that might have been in the foster care system or those that might have been given up for adoption or those that kind of feel like they're orphans with uh, losing their parents or, or losing a church. And I think of the, the, the totality of pain throughout the world today uh, that is directly related to origins. People wanting an identity. Listen, church, your identity is in Christ. And, and Christ will take you back. Jesus will take you back through his teachings Right here. You know why? Because Jesus can also say in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. You want to know why? He was there. He is the creator. The Holy Spirit, as we'll see, the Trinity involved in creation. Notice in verse 2, it says, The earth was out form and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. Your origin is found in God himself. And yeah, we probably, there are many of us have different origin stories and different difficulties of our upbringing and, and that, that can really mess with your head if you allow it. But if that's where you are now, come back to and say, okay, let's even go back to my human origin and come back to the God who created me in his image. And that's an important aspect to know you're created in the image of God. That's the value on your life. The value on your life is not your bank account, the value on your life is not where you live, what city you live in, how big your house is. It, none of the things that are measured the way the world measures, that is not your value. We are all equally valued, created in the image of God. It, it does a, a, a death blow in so many ways to the racial tensions that are here today, to the social economic tensions, to the hyper judgmentalism. Like you're going to find as we trust in the God who created us, and we understand that we are valued because we're created in the image of God, then we too will turn and we will treat other human beings the same way, created in the image of God. Worthy, you could say, of the grace of God, extended. Not worthy in that they earned it, but God loved them so much. They didn't, he didn't, you know, when the Bible says God so loved the world, it doesn't mean only you. Well, yeah, God so loved me, I'm saved. Yeah, it doesn't mean only you. It means your enemy too. It means that political party you're upset with. It means the thieves that are walking all up and down your your neighborhood at night, ripping off catalytic converters and whatever else they can get their hands on. I mean, you think of all the ingenuity of these folks that are going around once they get saved and born again, what God could do in their lives. Speaking to a former bad person myself, speaking for myself, what God can do in a person when they're born again. The radicalness that is lying beneath the surface in the person that God created in his image. Sin has so wrecked their lives and they're just distant from God. They don't know God. They're not, they have no desire for God, but we need to pray for them. We need to be available to them. 
We need to be open for the Holy Spirit to soften our own hearts so that as we love God, we know we love God because he first loved us. And as we learn how to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, we'll learn how to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's all in Genesis unpacked in this just that's all unpacked when we just think okay if your life I mean and you think about it your life begins with God it continues with God and it ends with God your life and mine hidden the Bible says that we are now as believers are hidden in Christ the best place to be so father we pray as we launch off on this study on all that you have in store for us just thinking about what you want to accomplish in our lives and being men and women following you, men and women of truth. We, we want to affirm our own origin. It begins with you and it ends with you. We want to affirm to you, God, the newness of life that we've experienced, being born again, born again of the Spirit, new life, fresh life, overwhelming life, we pray, God, that you would minister to our hearts and teach us and grow us. You know, the study of Genesis is much time as I put into it or much I read. It will still just lack, Lord, the capability of what you want and who you are. We, there's just so much about you that's unknown, so much about you that so many more learned people have, have studied, spent their whole life teaching and people that are just digging this kind of stuff. There's just so much more, Lord. And I pray that you would satisfy us with your word and all the things that might enjoy in studying, Lord, that, that we want to we begin and end with just being happy with you. Thinking of our identity in you, God. Thinking of our pre place and our presence in you. Thinking of, of your you're the origin of our lives, Lord. And I, I think, my, I mean, so much started in my life when I was born again. Just a whole new life, new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And as we're praying, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, let that be the origin. Let that be the origin. Let your life begin tonight. Life is so much more than Bible study. You know, Bible study is not even intended to satisfy you. Only Christ can satisfy. Learning a new Hebrew word doesn't satisfy you. Only Jesus satisfies, brings contentment, brings peace in the midst of the storm. It's not our energy, not our effort, not our mind, not our reasoning, not our theology. It's Christ and he alone. And if you're apart from Christ, then, man, it's even an emptier thing sitting through a Bible study because now you're disconnected from the from the author. And God would have you to know him and live for him, to have your sins forgiven, that you would be born again. So for those of you here in the room, if you're here today and you say, Ed, that is it. That is the condition of my life. I, I need my sins forgiven. I want to follow Jesus. I need to be born again. I, and again, you know, you, you've got to come to terms with, man, God is my creator. I want to invite you to receive the Lord Jesus Christ today. If that's you, would you just stand to your feet? I want to pray with you. And for those of you on the radio, I know that we're in a different place. I don't see you or maybe downstairs watching online. The Lord sees you. Make that decision to follow Jesus. Make that decision to repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
God bless you, young man. Who else would say that's me? Today, now. Reminded, it just, one little verse in the beginning, God. Let the beginning now be for you. He so loved you, he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. And I think of what we're studying in the book of Acts. Just a simple message, a call to repentance. 3,000 people. What must I do to be saved? Think of the world. Think of the, just think of the world. But right now, it's you. You are the world. That's who Jesus died for. So those of you that respond, pray with me. And you're actually going to be talking to God, but I'm going to help you obey this scripture in Romans 10 about confessing with your mouth. You could say, God, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. And I believe in the beginning, God. And I believe you love me. Sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for me. And I believe he rose again from the dead to save my soul. And I repent of my sin and I ask you to forgive me and help me to follow you. Father, I know anyone anywhere that will come to you, you said, Jesus, you will no way cast out. So I pray for those that turn to you today, near and far, Embrace them, love them, and let them grow in your grace and in your knowledge. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223 or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.